This sermon, True New Testament Giving, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning, everybody. If you're visiting with us, my name is Derek Overstreet. Uh, we are grateful, as you already heard, that you are worshiping with us this morning. And if you would open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, right in between 1 Corinthians, that one was easy, and Romans, uh, normally, uh, we, or we are currently preaching through the book of Acts, but we're actually taking Galatians. I'm sorry, what did I say? Somebody corrected me here, so I don't know if I'm right there or whatever. Um, we are currently preaching through the book of Acts. We're going to take the next three Sundays, including this Sunday, little break, uh, one for our Easter series that will begin next Sunday. And then uh, for this Sunday, we are going to look at New Testament giving. New Testament giving this morning we're going to do that from first or second Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 11. As we begin, listen to this short story. Sam Houston was a colorful colorful soldier, and if you're from Texas, you probably know who Sam Houston is. He was a colorful soldier and politician and is best known for helping to bring Texas into the United States. He surprised everyone when he became a Christian. He surprised everyone even more when after his baptism, he said he wanted to pay half of the local minister's salary. I don't know if that was just one minister or if that was all the local minister's salary. When someone asked him why, he responded, my pocketbook was baptized too. It's a humorous but true, I think, but true story. Either way, what is true is that the gospel transforms our entire lives, even how we view and handle the money that God has entrusted to us. A converted heart in the words of Sam Houston, will be evidenced by a converted wallet. We know that is true for two reasons. One, Scripture teaches it. Scripture teaches that the gospel transforms the way we view all of life, including money. Second, we see it. We see it in you. This area of New Testament giving, generous, faith-filled, cheerful giving, uh, the grace for that giving abounds in this church. God's fingerprints are all over this church in how you guys give. And, and, and on behalf of Tim and, and now Tom Wilkins, who as of April 1st, no April Fool's joke, is officially a pastor here. Uh, on behalf of the team, we are amazed and we are grateful. On behalf of the financial review team, Brian Trask, Chris Johnson, and Scott McLeod, when we look at the budget, when we see the numbers, we worship. We don't see 
dollars, we see grace. We don't see the ability to, to plan and scheme and scheme, that's not the right word, strategize. We see worship. We are so grateful for the grace that abounds in your giving. And if you are new here, one of the things that we've been doing for the past four or five years is we take the last Sunday of every April and we take a one-time offering. This offering is above and beyond our normal tithing. And if you were here last year, you, you probably remember how enthusiastically and generously you gave. You gave $72,000 in last year's April offering. We told you that we, we had already dedicated 32000 of that to last year's budget and that we were going to take every penny that was over and above that and we were going to give it to our church plant in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Which, by the way, David, if you remember him, the senior pastor there, he was officially ordained this morning. Unless something changed, I heard that it was this morning that that was happening, so we can be thanking God for that. But you invested $40,000, almost, that's almost a full year's budget for them. $40,000 as a way to partner and advance our gospel mission in South America. I look at that and I go, yeah, a converted heart will be evidenced by a converted wallet. Well, this year, uh, we uh, are doing something the same yet different. Uh, this year, we have committed the first $30,000 of the April offering to our current budget. And then everything beyond that, just like we did last year with the church plant in Bolivia, everything beyond that initial $30,000, we want to invest in the mission right here at home this year. Specifically, Tom Wilkins. Tom and Lisa Wilkins, uh, they have just moved here as of April 1st. Tom has actually come on staff, and he is a full-time pastor here at Sovereign Grace Church. We, we hadn't planned on doing that, by the way, in this year's budget, but in the Lord's wisdom, in the Lord's will, he brought Tom and Lisa to us, and we felt like after talking to the financial review team, coming to you as a church, we felt like it was good and right for us to move forward and bring him on staff. And so we want to take anything, anything that is given on the last Sunday in April, over $30,000, we want to take that, be it two months worth, be it six months worth, be it a year and a half's worth of salary to cover Tom Wilkins' salary that we had not originally planned in this budget. So we're still investing for the advancement of the gospel this year. It's not going to be in South America this year. It's going to be right here at home. And what a blessing I know having Tom serve you all, serve alongside Tim and I uh, as a pastor is going to be. It's going to allow us to do ministry better, to do ministry with, in a broader way, whether that's right here in our church or that's beyond in our community. Having, that, having Tom Wilkins, we believe, is the best next step for our church and our mission here in Tucson. So that's 
That's what we're looking at in this year's April offering. The first 30,000 will be committed to our current budget. Everything beyond that, we will commit to paying Tom Wilkins. But listen, whether it's regular tithe that you are so faithful with, whether it's the fifth Sunday offering that you continue to break my, our budgeted uh, uh, numbers, uh, or it's this April offering, we, we know that generous giving is never about a budget goal, is it? Generous giving is about grateful hearts for the gospel and a passionate desire to see the gospel mission advance through the local church. And that's really the point this morning. That is the point this morning. So would you stand and pray with me and then we will or read, the, read our text and then we will pray together. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The point is this. Oh, by the way, you know who's writing this? The man we learned about last week. Once called Saul, now called Paul. He went from persecuting the churches to shepherding the churches. And this is just one way he did it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or or, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You may be seated. Lord, this is your word, and we ask now that in the power of your spirit that you would cause it to bless our hearts, bear fruit in our lives, and bring you glory in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have two points this morning from the verses we just read. The first one is that we're going to see two types of givers, two types of givers, and then we're going to end by seeing one generous God, two types of givers and one generous God. I want to bring you in on the context before we really get into this. The context, if you're not aware, the context of this passage is that the apostle Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth to to help out the church in Jerusalem, which is struggling financially. And so Paul, Paul is drawing on the churches, and he is encouraging the church in Corinth to, to participate. And if you're not familiar with chapter 8, go read it this week, because it's important. Paul has just pointed out to the Corinthians in chapter 8, the example of the Macedonian churches. He really set them up 
uh, who, a group of churches that, that literally begged to participate in the offering. Paul says, even despite their extreme poverty, they gave generously with great joy, even out of their extreme poverty. And so, so Paul has set them up, in a sense said, be like the Macedonian churches. And really what we have here in chapters 8 and 9 is that we find the most comprehensive instruction on giving in the New Testament. If you want to know, what does God desire from me as his child as it relates to giving, look no further than 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And at the heart of Paul's instruction here, you won't find a percentage. You won't find the word tithe. You won't find an amount. What you'll find is an attitude, a disposition, an attitude of generosity. And to make this point about giving... Paul, Paul summarizes his instruction here by utilizing a key biblical principle. Notice verse 6. He says, the point is this. Here's what I'm trying to communicate to you, Corinthians, about how you should view giving. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, Scripture repeatedly makes this correlation, a direct correlation. We see it in verse 6 here between what you do and what you experience. We see it all over the pages of Scripture. Proverbs 22, 8 says, the one who sows injustice will reap calamity. 1 Peter 3, 7 says the husband who, who withholds understanding with his wife will receive unanswered prayers from the Lord. James 4, verse 6 says the one who gives himself to pride will experience opposition from God. And the one who humbles himself will experience grace. Scripture, including our passage here in the wisdom of God, Scripture is filled with what is known as the principle of sowing and reaping. And here Paul says that same biblical principle, that ancient principle, it applies to our money. It applies to giving. Now, before we go any further, let's be very clear, okay, Context is important. Paul is not applying this principle to our salvation. <laughs> okay, let's be very clear. We cannot earn God's saving grace. This principle relates to our practice, that is our sanctification before God, how we handle our money as his children, okay? It's not about our position before God. There's a fancy word for that, our justification. It's about our practice, not our position. And in the immediate context of giving, 
the sowing and reaping principle is this. Generously giving to God results in generous blessings from God. That's what Paul's saying here. That, 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 that is what, that's why Paul says, here's the point. Sowing and reaping. If you give sparingly, you'll receive sparingly. It, he also uses that word bountiful. Did you notice that? In verse 6, he who gives bountifully. The, the word for bountiful in, in verse 6, it means blessings or generous gift. Great blessings. In other words, generous givers will, re, will, will reap generous blessings from God. Of course, on the flip side of the principle, as stated in verse 6, is those who give sparingly to God. That's what you're doing when you give to your church. You're giving to the Lord and his work. You're giving to the gospel mission. When we give sparingly, those who give sparingly will receive sparingly. So let's, there's two different types of givers here. Two different types of givers. So let's look at those. He kind of unpacks it for us in verse 7. And he says, each one must give as he has made up his mind. Or you, you might say heart. When you see that word mind in scripture, it's heart. It's the soul. It's the inner being. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As you notice, both people are giving. There's two different ways of giving. The giving is assumed here. It's how we give. It's the heart of our giving that Paul is getting at. There is a huge difference in how these two people are giving. One gives reluctantly. Paul uses that word under compulsion. They give begrudgingly. They, they need to be asked. They need to be reminded that they, they give when they're pressured or persuaded. They aren't intentional about their giving. They are haphazard and inconsistent. They give when it fits. They give when they feel as though they can afford to give. That's because they don't give out of their heart. They don't give out of their free will. They give begrudgingly. Last week I was with one of my grandsons and he had a handful of Sour Patch Bears. Those are really good. And I walked up and you know he had them. I said, hey, can Papa have one of those? And he had red and green. And he said, as soon as I said, can Papa have one, he went like this. <laughs> he's learning, he's learning. But these are my favorite colors. That's what he said to me. I said, oh, well, can Papa just have one? Those are my favorite colors too. Okay. He gave me one, sparingly, begrudgingly, probably under compulsion. Papa's asking for something. I need to give it to him. Now, that's what it means. That's the idea here of giving sparingly. And it's not about the amount. It's not about the amount. It's about an attitude of the heart. John Piper, in addressing this text, he says, to give sparingly is to give from a heart that deep inside wants to hold back there are enough external constraints and pressures to make us give something, 
But the real feeling of our heart is not to think how much can we give, but how much can we keep. Listen, if that is hitting you like a ton of bricks right now, no condemnation. Allow this text, allow what comes next to give you hope, to encourage you. No condemnation. It is, we heard Tim say over and over in the parenting, it is never too late. (laughs) It is never too late to adopt a biblical attitude and a biblical disposition of giving from the word of God. And the spirit of God will help you do that if you humble yourself and instead of burying yourself in condemnation and saying, I just don't want to have anything to do with giving, to allow the conviction of the spirit to lead you to repentance, to say, Lord, forgive me and grant me the grace to give as your word puts forth. So that's one giver. Now, there's another type of giver here Paul describes to us. Notice that phrase again in verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, listen, don't misunderstand Paul here. His point is not my giving is my business. That's not what he's saying. He is not drawing from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 that said, Don't let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's not saying good Christians don't talk about their giving with one another. That's not the point here. That's not the point here. The point is the person loves to give. They've decided in their own heart. They've decided by their own free will, I want to be generous. This person is enthusiastic about giving. They think about giving, that they have a plan to give. Their giving is thought out. It's, it's intentional. It's, it's regular. No one needs to tell them to give or remind them or persuade. They don't need a pastor saying, hey, we're taking an offering. Would you dig deep? They hear April offering, and without the pastor, they say, wow, Lord, how do you want me to participate? You've blessed me in so many ways. That's, that's the person here. And what, why? How? It's because in their heart, they've decided to give and give generously because their giving is based on grace, not circumstances. It's based on what Jesus has done for them, as we will see in a moment. Not, what can I receive out of this? And you'll notice verse 8, this giver gives by faith. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Notice how many times Paul uses the word all. (laughs) He wants us to understand God will take care of you as you follow him so that you may abound in every good work. Now remember that phrase, in every good work. J. 
Generosity is the fruit of faith in God. In fact, I'm not sure that Paul's point here is primarily give, God will take care of you, but knowing that God will take care of you. Knowing the character of God. Give joyfully and generously, for he is able to sufficiently supply for all your needs. I think when we, when, we, when we grasp this, not only does there become, I think not only do we, do we see a, a, a contentment produced, but part of this kind of faith-filled giving comes from a contentment with where God has us, a contentment with how he has currently been providing for us. I remember talking to a guy that had nothing to do with money, had to do with cigarettes. Both, I was a new believer, he wasn't. But I was struggling with cigarettes myself. And I said, you're still smoking. Well, why are you still smoking? I want to quit. And, and I remember he said, you know, God, when God saved me over the years, he's taken everything away from me. He's not taking my cigarettes away. There was something there that, that he was clinging to. He, he saw God not as a generous giver, but as a taker. As a taker. That's the New Testament focus on giving. Generous, cheerful, faith-filled. And that has nothing to do with the dollar amount. The widow gave everything she had. A mite, a half a penny. It wasn't about amount. And she was set up and praised by God himself for all of eternity through his word. It's not about an amount. It's about an attitude of the heart. The focus in the New Testament is just that. And if you are experiencing grace in giving, I mentioned earlier, if you're not, no condemnation. Repent and follow the Lord's ways for you. If you are thriving in this area, if grace abounds in your life in this area, well, guess what? Fight the temptation to self-righteousness. Fight pride and say to yourself, I get the joy of giving to the gospel mission at Sovereign Grace Church, but God gets all the glory. I get the joy of giving. God gets all the glory in my giving because indeed, it is a work of the Lord. Now, I want you to note God's response here to the generous giver before we move on. Notice what he says in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. What does God love? Well, I think you could answer that in a lot of different ways. But from his own mouth, codified on the pages of holy Scripture, here's one thing we know God loves because he says it. I love a cheerful giver. He sees your intentional, faith-filled, joyful giving, and, and he doesn't say, ah, too, that's too much. You don't understand the calamity I have awaiting you. He doesn't say, ah, that's unwise. He says, yes, 
I love. I love that. God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I think the reason why he loves a cheerful giver is because he is the ultimate giver. And in Ephesians 5, one way that calls us to imitate God, when we give freely from the heart to the one who freely gave his son for our hearts, he sees himself. He sees Christ in us. He sees that profound union at work. He sees, he sees his children becoming more and more like his son, Jesus. And God loves that. He takes infinitely great delight in that. So, two kind of givers. Now, one generous God, one generous God. To be sure, generous giving is not the fruit of financial prosperity. It's not the fruit of a Pollyanna personality. It's not the fruit of promising prospects. I mentioned the the, the exceedingly generous widow from Luke 21. I mentioned the, the, the exceeding generosity of the Macedonian churches in chapter 8. Both of them gave out of extreme poverty, despite their extreme poverty. Generous giving is the fruit of having the right view of God. It's the fruit of having the right view of God, that he is the generous giver. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. Did you catch all the giving phrases? Did you catch the verbs that Paul just stacks up? God gives. God supplies. God multiplies. God increases. God enriches. God gives and gives and gives blessings into the lives of his children. God is not merely a giving God. He is a generous giver of all that we need, of all things at all times in all circumstances. Paul paints a picture of a generous generous God here. And he ends this entire teaching drawing our attention to where his giving is most generous. And that's the giving of his only son. We we didn't read it, but look ahead to the last verse of chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his 
inexpressible gift. No gimmicks on Paul's part. He's not trying to motivate and stir up the people emotionally to give. No games, no gimmicks. He simply says, I want you to fix your eyes on Christ, on Christ, the crucified Savior, who is the inexpressible gift. If God never gave you another good thing in this life, your salvation in Jesus would be enough to be the basis and motivation for every penny you give on the last Sunday of this month. What he has done for you in Christ Jesus. That is the foundation of Paul's persuasion here. Oh, Corinthians, I want to encourage you. Finish this offering. Gather it up. I'm coming. If for no other reason, the inexpressible gift of Christ and him crucified for your sins. I love that song that that we sang this morning. My Redeemer's love grows sweeter as eternity draws near. I'll enjoy his love forever at his throne for endless years. My Redeemer's love will fill me on the day I see his face. I will love him back forever and forever sing his praise. Listen, do you know why you can sing that here this morning? Only one reason. You've been saved by the grace of God. At some point in your life, the Spirit of God moved you to repent of your sins and place all your hope to believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that completely changed your trajectory, not just for the next year or for the next 10 years, but for all of eternity. That will be, that will be what you do. Living in the presence of Jesus. This life is temporary. This life is fleeting. It's but a vapor. As Randy Alcorn likes to point out, Christians, when it comes to money and possessions, we don't live for the dot, that is this life. We live for the line, which never ends and is characterized by endless praise in the presence of Jesus Christ. If, you, if God never gave you another good thing in your life, from here to the day you die, your greatest need has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. No wrath for you. Only mercy. Only grace. Only the unrelenting, steadfast love of the Father, both today And forever, the endless tomorrow. Paul says, that's enough. That's enough to move even the Macedonian churches to give generously, even in extreme 
poverty. That's the most important thing in this sermon, to, is to have our eyes fixed on the inexpressible gift we have been given in Jesus Christ and to know anything that we give flows from that. We only give because he gave. And he gave to take care of our greatest need, forgiveness of sins before a holy God. So the gospel is the greatest expression of God's generosity toward us. Any generosity that I might express on the last Sunday in April pales in comparison to what happened 2,000 years ago, to what we're going to celebrate in our Easter series. But the gospel is not only the greatest expression of God's generosity towards us. It's the ultimate reason for his generosity toward us. God generously gives to us, not so we can live our best lives now. I know some of you have probably heard that on the internet. But so that we can generously give to his mission. Did you notice in verse 8 how he ended that? The giving was God's sufficiency and provision was what? For every good work. In other words, for the gospel mission that God calls us to. Not for my best life. Now, my best life is yet to come. That's in heaven. And I think that, that ultimately, this point in verse 10, 11 is what we need to believe and embrace. And if we do, I think it's paradigm shifting. So notice, notice uh, verse 10. Notice what Paul says there. Paul says... God supplies and multiplies seed to the sower. In other words, God, that's God generously giving us all we need for the sake of the gospel mission. From clothes on your back to money toward the April offering. That's God supplying. He is supplying the seed. And then Paul goes on at the end of verse 10 to say that God will also increase the harvest of your righteousness. Did you notice that? Righteousness here in verse 10 is the sowing. It's the sowing for the sake of the gospel. For, for the Corinthians, it was their generous giving to the church in Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel mission in that city. For us, it's advancing the gospel right here in Tucson. And yes, at times beyond in places like Bolivia, Santa Cruz. Verse 10 is actually drawing from Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, where you know what it says. It's those great words, God's great promise that his, his word will not return void. It uses this same language. And so the point is supplying bread, supplying seed to the sower. The primary point is for the gospel mission. So the promise here is not primarily about my material blessings. It's about missional 
blessings. It's about the church growing, the gospel advancing, sinners being saved and sanctified. It's about the glory of God in a fallen world. It's about a small, humble group of people like this taking the light of Jesus into the dark world in which we we find ourselves every day. It's about the eternal over the temporal. And we know that because of what Paul says next in verse 11. Notice what he says. You will be enriched. That means generously provided for in every way for, and that word for is not a reference to reward, but for the sake of all your generosity. Did you catch that? You will be gener- Paul's saying you will be generously provided for so that you can generously participate in gospel mission. I don't do this very often, but my ESV study Bible footnote was so clear. I thought, okay, I, just, I need to read that because I'll probably muddy up the waters. It simply says about verse 11, God will provide for the Corinthians' needs so that they can continue generously meeting others' needs and giving resources to advance the gospel. Missional blessings. Not personal kingdom, but God's kingdom. Listen, just as verse 15 is our motivation for any giving that we do, verse 11 gives eternal purpose, doesn't it? Can you think? I'm so glad that Paul wrote this. Can you find any higher purpose? I will generously provide to you, Sovereign Grace Church, so that you can generously give to the mission I've called you to in Tucson. I I can't explain why God provides for a person on this side of the room in far more abundant ways than he provides for somebody on that side of the room. I can't explain that, except for that it's in the wisdom of God for his glory. Oops. You don't understand, Siri. We need, to, we need to talk about the gospel. Well, that will go down in the history of Sovereign Grace Church. By the way, if you would agree with Siri, you're thinking, I don't understand. Come see one of the pastors after, after the service, in all seriousness. Oh, boy. Here's what I can't explain. Here's what I can explain. God provides for you so you can sow into his kingdom purposes. And as you do, he is always faithful. You know what Psalm 37, 25 says? This is David. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God is faithful. Not just in your salvation and your sanctification. He is faithful. He is faithful to provide. Listen, 
not a fundraising gimmick, the wisdom and truth of God. That's what this is. This is not a pastor trying to persuade. This is a pastor appealing based on the word of God, based on the wisdom and truth of God. And and before we do any application, I want to make sure again that we guard against all condemnation. Let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with saving for a child's education. There's nothing wrong with having a robust retirement plan. There's nothing wrong with living in a large home or driving a new car. It's just not the primary reason the Lord is providing for you in the way that he's providing for you. Sadly, there are far too many preachers proof texting their way to a prosperity gospel that claims God's desire for you in this world is to have as much as you can get so that you can enjoy the life you've always wanted and in fact deserve because you're a king's kid. Give this much and know that God will give you the life that you have wanted. He'll fulfill your desires. That's a false teaching preached by a false teacher. Reject it. Reject it. Completely, humbly, but wholly and completely. That is not what Scripture teaches. Now listen, on the flip side, God doesn't demand that his people live in poverty. There's a group of people out there that think that too. That to to spend any money, to, to, to have a nice home, that somehow you're missing it. That's not what Scripture teaches. God God knows your needs. By the way, he knows your true needs, not your lifestyle needs, not your preferred lifestyle needs. And he sees what you need. And he, as we saw in verse 8, lavishes his abundant provision on you. Not according, again, to your lifestyle preference. Not according to your past sinful money habits that have gotten you in trouble now. But according to his wisdom and purposes for you. Philippians 4.19 says as much. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here's the point today. The point is not give all your money to the April offering because it's sinful to spend money on, your, on yourself. The point is God wants us to view his generosity toward us not solely for our benefit and enjoyment but for his redemptive purposes. We're not fundraisers. Your pastors aren't fundraisers. You're not gonna see uh, a, 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 a goal thermometer hanging in the lobby this month. No manipulative gimmicks. No, motiva- no, no motivational games. Here's what we do every April. We allow God's word to speak through spirit-empowered preaching. And we humbly and unashamedly call people to submit by faith to God's word 
in the power of the Spirit and on the account of the cross. That's what we do. And so in light of 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11, from the poorest in the room to the wealthiest in the room, here's your application. Would you prayerfully consider how God is calling you, not if, how, God is calling you to give on the last Sunday of April from a generous, cheerful, faith-filled heart for one reason, for the sake of our gospel mission together and, I guess that's two, (laughs) and for the pleasure and the glory of God.